grace to you, life and peace from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is taken from the first half of the Gospel reading, reading to you just the first couple verses. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? Dear friends in Christ Jesus, amen. You know, our language is composed of many figures of speech. We say very little in a very straightforward sense, but we, we just kind of immerse ourselves into all these various figures. You know, he's a dog. He's not really a dog. He just acts like a dog, that sort of thing. You know, and little sayings, lots of sayings. We, we just pass them around, and sometimes we, I kind of wonder if we even stop and think about what we're saying. Last week in the sermon, I mentioned a saying that my dad had, about the rain, you know, he said it's always better in a wet year than a dry year because the cows can eat. Well, that's just kind of a long one and not a very pithy one, but it's, it's still one that's common. It's kind of a comforting saying that we give to each other that it's like saying, hey, don't worry, you know, it's going to be all right, that sort of thing as you got water up to your eyeballs, the sort of a thing. Well, that's what Jesus spoke here now after he came home to his hometown, to his own people, his disciples with him. You know, the, the boy comes home, kind of a, a special occasion, you might say. It certainly is in this day and age when we send off a son or somebody to the seminary, and especially if they got to go to college first, eight years of long study, and they finally come home maybe after their ordination, and they come into town and all their friends are there, and they're, they're so excited to see their family and everybody else, you know. It's it's occasion of jubilation, of giving thanks, and that's what it should have been there. Lord Jesus was coming home. They had heard about his miracles. It was not like Jesus was a stranger on the planet, you know, that he had just come down with, uh, who is that guy, that little funny-looking thing, E2 Go Home, or you know, that guy, you know. Jesus was known to the community, his father, his mother, his family, brothers, sisters, cousins, all these people, as they even mentioned. And yet the reception he got was far from what we would expect when a child of the community would come home having made it big. Whenever one of our own graduates from college Boy, it's amazing the people that'll turn out to congratulate them on their work and success and wish them luck paying off their bills after that, that sort of thing. Well, we see here in the text that Jesus did not receive that kind of a welcome, not in the least. It starts out pretty good. It says that many who heard him were astonished as he taught there in the synagogue as it was custom. You know, for a guest in the community, a male guest, would, and then they would, after the readings, they, they'd ask them, would you like to expound upon this? Maybe they had heard a sermon somewhere else, and then they would relate it. Because remember, they didn't have the printed scriptures in front of them in the pew. There was a copy of the Torah in the synagogue if they were fortunate. And that was about it. 
So they, these itinerant preachers, in a way, you might call them, would expound upon that, and Jesus was invited because he was an outsider here, a guest of the community, and he told them whatever the scripture was for that day, explained it to them, and they were astonished. Astonished. He had insight. He had depth of understanding of what the Bible was speaking to the people. And so it amazed the people. It really did. And they said, where did this man get these things? They, they couldn't remember sending him off to a seminary somewhere and supporting him, uh, you know, through donations or nothing like that, but rather he had been gone. And so they naturally would puzzle, where did he get this understanding, this knowledge? Some people grow to be quite old and never would have such insight into God's Word, no matter how much they studied. And they said, what is the wisdom given to him? They were puzzling. But then human nature takes over. Human nature has its way of rearing its ugly head and taking control of the situation, lest a person become a little bit too big-headed, you might say. The human nature of the crowd, of the people of the community, began to take over, and then they started asking other questions. Only these questions were not meant as a compliment. These were derogatory. He's, they say, how are such mighty works done by his hands? See, they had heard about some of the miracles. But how could such things be done by him of all people? They mention his hands. How could a man of his training and background do this? How could he heal people? He's not a physician. He's not a learned scholar through many years of university training or anything. But rather, they looked at his background. His father was a carpenter. And so based upon that, they assumed he was a carpenter too. In fact, in the hymn we just sang, we also assume. Jesus was a carpenter. And yet the scriptures don't say that he was a carpenter. We assume he was because his father was. A son would walk in the steps or the shoes of his father. So they, they wondered, how could a carpenter do physical healings, miracles? How could he feed 5,000 with a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish. How could he do this? You see, these stories and, uh, and events went throughout the Palestinian region. They didn't have television to turn on at night, and they didn't have YouTube and Facebook to occupy their idle moments during the day, or creative moments in the day, I should probably say, taken away from productive time, but rather they would simply tell what they heard. And, of course, when they tell what they heard, it becomes mingled with half-truths and truths, and everything becomes nothing more than gossip. But they had heard that Jesus was doing wonderful things. And then they go on and they say, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Why not the son of Joseph? It would have been an insult. 
if a man was introduced to a congregation or to a group of people and say, here's Joe, the son of Mary, if you did not use it properly and say, here is Joe, the son of Billy Bob, you always use the father's name, not the mother's. So their derogatory and their attitude, their attitude was really showing here. They were slipping away. And they said, he's the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? In other words, he, he came from this family. How could he become anything? And they took offense at him. Here he is. Our Lord, in the early stages of his ministry, he had done wonders and then he comes home and he receives such a poor reception. So our Lord's response, first of all, is to quote them a saying that was popular in the Hebrew and also the, the Gentile circuit, only they didn't use the word prophet. He added that. He says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. They use a double negative for the sake of emphasis. Some of our English translations remove that hurdle and they simply says, a prophet has honor except in his hometown, and etc. Why would he use a saying like that? What's the meaning of that saying? Does it have any meaning or emphasis in our life? How about some of the many sayings that you banner around every day? And I'll bet you every one of us have sayings, except maybe the very young. We have sayings. One of my favorite ones is the best laid plans of mice and men off go astray. I quote that every time that something doesn't work right. That's kind of my out. Mice and men, we share the same calamity. Our best plans often don't work. That's just a common little saying often go astray. We leave a little loophole in there. Sometimes they do work. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. Is that true? How many people have eaten apples from the time they first grew teeth? And now they're laying in bed sick, dying of cancer or some other thing. They've had a healthful lifestyle all their life and now they're dying or they're very sick. No, an apple a day will not always keep the doctor away, but it's still good advice. It's good for the Constitution, if nothing else. And it's good for the apple people, too. They appreciate your support. But our little sayings go on and on, and some have a lot of meaning, some don't. How about a prophet does not have any honor in his hometown? That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? He doesn't have any honor among his relatives. He doesn't have any honor even in his own house. Is that true? Our Lord spoke it. He should have known it. 
For Jesus, in his state of humiliation, now as he was carrying around this fleshly body, just like you and I, he took on the same flesh you and I have. He became like us, except he had no sin. And yet, when he came into his hometown, into his own house, the earlier event, when he came home, his mother and his family, his brothers, his kinfolk, they called him insane. He was nuts. They tried to get him away from the crowd. They were totally ashamed of him. Our Lord did this for you and I. This was part of his state of humiliation, of him bearing the grief of sin and the repercussions of sin in this life because of the fall. We go through some of these stages, don't we? Where we do something that should be honorable and held up high and we receive nothing but disgust and disgruntlement from those around us because they're jealous. There's no reason he should do it when I can do it. The ill feelings that people harbor for each other come out in strange situations. And here was a situation where the very Son of God was in his hometown where he had done many fine things, miracles, healing people that probably would never have been healed. We don't, I can't say offhand if he had raised the dead at this point, but he healed lepers, made the lame walk, he gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, and they took offense at him. Why should he do this when I could do it too? All I got to do is walk down the street and wave my little hands and say, Oh, be well, Joe. It doesn't work that way, does it? Now Jesus healed and was able to heal because he was the Son of God. He did this for you and I. Because this little saying, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives in his own household, is not so much about the prophet, but it's about the people of the town, the relatives, and the people in the house. It's about us. It's about us, how we hold such bitterness towards others when they succeed. Sometimes it's pure jealousy that we wish we could be there. Sometimes it's even worse. But we despise people who get ahead in life. We despise people who take the same thing that's given to them and to us and they make it work and we can't. You see, this is our sin. This is part of our life. That's the way we feel. That's the way we think. And that's the way we act. We are those who despise giving honor to a prophet. Because we want the honor. And Jesus Christ came into his own area that he would experience our hatred for him. For the world hates Jesus Christ. 
The Scripture's so clear on that. Every one of us, by our nature, hates the Christ. We hate Christ because He is one with the Father. And yet He, in His love, endured our hatred. When He came there and they took offense at Him, and they spoke these very derogatory questions or threw them at him. He was doing that for us. That he might pay that full penalty of sin. That he might bear the anguish that sin causes. Sin caused a lot more than the pain in his hands and his feet when he was nailed to the cross. But he suffered the anguish, the pain, the torture of pain throughout his life when people failed to give him honor and glory for who he was and for what he was doing. Yet he did not stop. He continued to endure this, to bear with it, even to the point of death. And they did not take his life from him, but he gave it freely. Sin has been overcome. This Jesus, who endured the scorn of his hometown, went on to become the Lord of glory. He is the God of victory. He is the one that we turn to to have our acts of scorn forgiven. And also that we can find comfort in the fact that he has endured what we don't like to endure. He's covered the bases. We find the fullness of life in this Jesus. Because he endured the ugliness of life. Another little saying that we often use is familiarity breeds contempt. And that certainly is fitting here. Familiarity breeds contempt. And I'm sure that all of us at one time or another have experienced the harsh reality of that little saying. We may have met someone occasionally or been near them or something. We admire their ability to work, to perform, to do whatever they are. And we say to ourselves, that'd be a good person to be a friend with. And then we get into a situation where we can interact a little bit more and we see who they really are. They're not the kind and gentle person that you would want to know. But rather, they're disgusting. The more we get to know one, the more we despise one. You see, that's life. That reminds us that we yet are still carrying around this cage of sin. We have been forgiven by the grace of God. All our sins of past, present, and the future have been laid to rest. For Christ has taken the curse from us, placed it on himself, and he paid that price. But yet we are still in the flesh. And too often that's how we act, is like we are only creatures of the flesh and not spirits of the living God. 
Thus daily we are reminded. We must confess our sins. We must daily renounce the works of the devil and his actions performed through us and daily renew the promise that God gave to us in baptism, that he has called us to be holy children, holy children of the living God. Jesus was not welcomed into the town of his earthliness, for Mary, his mother, still resided there. We don't know what happened to Joseph, but her and his siblings lived there, this was the place of his humanity. But he was also God. And through that divine godness of himself, he has attained that victory. He rose from the dead, and now he makes us his children. We are his family. We are his family gathered here on this Sabbath morning to praise his holy name to thank our Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done and for how he enables his people to live today and for the strength to repent and the spirit to believe. His earthly family rejected him, but the earthly family of the world that rejected him is now being called daily by the Spirit of God to have life in this same Jesus. For Jesus Christ has honor where the Spirit abides. He has the greatest honor, for he is truly acknowledged as the Son of the living God, true God from before all creation, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Sometimes when pastors leave the seminary, they come home and are welcomed congratulated, and sometimes they're not. They're simply not. People remember what they were, who they were, what they did. So we see this little parable, or this little proverb as Jesus spoke it, or as some refer to them as an axion, a generalized saving, saying that worldwide is known, or an aphorism. Wherever they come with them names, I don't know, but that's what they use to refer to these type of sayings. They're mostly a true thing, but there are exceptions. Thank God for the exceptions, but we especially praise God for the strength to live in our life when these sayings are true. For the glory truly is our God alone. He's given us life, and we praise his name this day. Amen. And may the peace which passes our human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.